in praying and thinking about what to preach this Sunday, I found myself pretty frustrated. I did. I was, I was, what constitutes a 4th of July sermon, Doug? Oh, by the way, Doug, just so you know, I may need some new batteries here in a minute, so. And the thing is, I didn't want to just watch that video and then piggyback off the video, right? Because the video is a pretty good sermon just in itself, right? So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to just, you know, teach about the faith of our founding fathers. And the truth is this, it's incredible history. If you look at, at it, it is incredible history, and I'm extremely grateful to be living in this country. But we have to be mindful that our first allegiance as believers is not to a nation, but it's to God. Amen? Amen? I know that's a weird thing to say on Independence Day, right? Our, 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 our allegiance isn't to a political party. It is to Jesus. Amen? In speaking about the election last year, I said this. As much as my heart swells when I hear God bless America, I have to consistently remind myself that while God has placed me here, my true citizenship lies in a much better place. Amen? Remember that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, right? The old hymn tells us there'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. What a day that will be, amen? Of course, when we think about how to get to where our true citizenship is, how many know the only way, the only answer is found in Jesus? Amen? Only answer is found in following Jesus. So as I was praying and thinking about this sermon, I was blessed by this thought, that for believers, I believe it should be front and center. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean for us to follow Christ? What is required? Let's pray together today. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share the word on this Independence Day when we're going to we come together as family, we're going to take communion together later on. Lord, I pray that your presence would continue to move, Lord, that the words that you have um, preached to me, now I get to preach to the church. Lord, I thank you for your spirit moving in this church moving upon its people. Lord, I pray this message would not be one where we just hear and let it go, but it would be deep in our hearts. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The last few months, how many know that we've been studying the early church, or what we call the ecclesia? And in doing so, we, we compared what they were doing then to what the church is doing now. And the truth is, I thought I had ended the series. Uh, ended the series a few weeks ago. We did a short overview of the series and, and really thought that it would be an end. But it turns out that there is one more sermon left to preach in the series, and the message is entitled Following Jesus. So about five years ago now, I preached a series entitled Profiles and Courage. Does anybody remember that? We went through a bunch of different profiles, and we talked about different prophets, and, and then we went into the disciples. And so one of those messages was about what it means to be a follower of Christ, or specifically about the disciples. So when we think about following Jesus, in most cases, we have no greater example 
than the disciples, right? In most cases, not all cases, but in most cases. Now, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon because uh, I don't think that would be the greatest thing to do, <laughs> number one. And two, uh, you can still listen to it through our Podbean podcasting application. So it's a really good sermon. You should go back and listen to it. It's fantastic. But I want to touch on some of the same points that I did there. So who were the 12 disciples of Jesus? So Bible 101, Tim, I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> Tim's like, don't call on me. <laughs> who, let's, just, let's just throw out some names. Who were the 12 disciples? Who said Peter James? Ding, ding. Next. What? John, yep. Thomas? Judas, yep. Luke? No. Luke was not. What's that? Matthew, yes. Bartholomew, yes. Andrew was one that somebody, someone missed. Uh, there's James the Lesser or the Younger, and then Jude or Thaddeus, and then Matthew, Philip, and Simon the Zealot, and then Judas, who was replaced by Matthias. These were the disciples, right? Most of them were fishermen by trade. Some were brothers or cousins. Irene, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Listen, this is who the disciples were. We had the disciples. They were this ragtag group of men that, that Jesus chose to teach and train, knowing that he'd be gone soon, soon, right? They traveled with the master. They traveled with the king. They, they watched everything Jesus was going through, likely unaware that the cost would be on them someday. We know that leading towards the death of Jesus, Peter would deny him, Judas would betray him. But according to Mark chapter 14, all the disciples would eventually desert him. The journey had been great, but now they were facing death and the pressure was too much. Jesus was done praying in the garden right before Judas shows up with the soldiers. And this is what happens in Mark 14, verse 45 through 50. It says this, and when he, that's Judas, came, he went up to him, Jesus, at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him, that's the soldiers, and they seed, seized Jesus. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. That's the disciples. They all fled. They all took off. It was too much pressure. Say pressure. How many know that in our Christian lives, sometimes we are under pressure, right? For most, it was only the resurrection that brought them back. After all, what use is it to follow a dead man? What use is it to follow a dead man? Some had the revelation that Jesus was in fact God before the cross, but it wasn't until after the cross that all their doubt was removed. Amen? When the resurrected king sat with them, he ate with them, he, he let them see his scars, they, they saw him ascend into heavens. Their faith was not just strong, it was solidified. 
I don't want just strong faith. I want solid faith. Amen? We in the Christian body don't just need some strong faith. We need solid faith. The courage they had before the resurrection was dwarfed by the courage they showed after the resurrection. And now this resurrected king is the one who drives their journeys. In your life, in your Christian walk, are you being driven by the master? Where you go, what you do, who you speak to, who you minister to, are you being driven by the king? Most of the journeys are going to lead to their death. Of the 12 disciples, only John the Revelator for sure escapes being killed for his faith. But it wasn't for a lack of people trying. Some were stoned, some were stabbed. Others sawn apart or filleted alive. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross, and Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I cannot do what my master did. How many know that you don't surrender your life for a dead man? We don't surrender our lives for a dead man. These followers of Jesus preached of his resurrection, and their conviction was so great, most would die for it. When you are moved from a position of strong faith to a position of solidified faith, you will start to move towards the position of crucifixion. In our Christian walk, when you are moved from, well, you know, I'm just a believer. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm a strong believer. But when there's pressure comes against you, you back off. That happens a lot, right? Pressure comes, culture, friends, family, influence. And we back off of our faith because we don't want to offend anybody. Now, when your faith goes from, from strong to solid, now it doesn't matter what your friends and family say, right? Now it doesn't matter what culture says. Now I'm moving into a position of crucifixion. I'm moving into a position where I am ready to die for my faith. To follow Jesus doesn't mean just to follow God. To follow Jesus doesn't mean just to follow God who, who put himself on a cross. It also means picking up your own cross. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? When you're in a position of crucifixion, you aren't worried about what your family thinks, right? You're just not. Well, they're offended. Then they're going to be offended. No, no, you don't understand. I mean, they think I've become a radical. Yep, that happens. You aren't worried about what your coworkers think. 
the only thing on your mind is sharing the incredible truth of a risen Christ with no fear of the consequences. I just had a friend of mine, this is not in my notes, but it's okay. Uh, I had a friend of mine that's a missionary to China. And he was pastoring churches in China. And it was interesting, he would say that the, the, the secret police would come and invade the church and threaten him with arrest. And he said, that's fine. Please arrest me. Take me away to the prison. I will continue to preach Jesus there and get those prisoners saved too. Seven times his, his church was invaded. When you've made up your mind that Christ is the most important thing, and even the threat of death won't stop you, then you're truly beginning to look like a disciple. Then you're truly beginning to look like a disciple. Someone once said it this way, the greatest proof of his resurrection was the death of the disciples. Why? Because you don't die for a dead man. Are you ready for it? I've had serious discussions with my wife and saying there may be a day coming where in this nation I could be jailed for preaching what's preached off of this pulpit. So we talk about the 4th of July. We talk about celebration of our independence and our freedoms. Keep in mind what's coming down the pipe. Is it pipe or pike? I don't know. It's one of those. Whatever it is, we'll edit it and afterwards. Is it Pike, Bobby? Thank you. How many know this isn't a message for spectators? Right? It's really not. It's not a message for spectators. This is a message for people who see and recognize the brutal bloodiness of the cross. And they don't shy away from it. In fact, <laughs> they know that suffering is coming and yet they move towards it anyway. Are you ready for it? Are you ready to be a follower of Jesus? In other words, will your faith lead you to a cross? It's interesting. It's where it led Christ. It's where it led his disciples. It's where it leads us. And I know it's not pretty, and I know it's not easy, but it is required. Anything less is for spectators, not followers. You can be a spectator or you can be a participator. Amen? How many of you know there's spectators in sports and there's participators? You know which one I am? I'm a spectator. For sports, I'm not out on the field. I'm not shooting the shot. I'm not throwing the ball. I'm sitting there going, yay, Michigan. Please don't lose again. Because there's a difference between spectators and participators. How many know uh, within the Christian church, there are many spectators of Jesus and few participators? There are many just in the audience and enjoying the show without having to do any of the real work. Jesus revealed that in following him, truly following him wasn't just on the surface. 
Truly following Jesus is not just on the surface. You can't just be enthralled by miracles and healings or excited about the teachings that only encourage and make us feel good. How many know we got to dig deeper? We want to dig deeper in our faith. you got to understand that it's not just about the outside, but it's about the deepness of the spiritual. This last week, I had an opportunity to connect with a friend of mine from college. This is the, the missionary that I was talking about. We spent some time together reminiscing about those days in college and what they meant to us. And, and when he saw me again, he gave me a big hug, and he, and he said to a friend that was next to him, he said this. It was kind of funny. He said, uh, it was surprising to see me in ministry. He said, in fact, he was probably most surprised by seeing me in ministry. He said he never thought it would happen. I asked him, I, I said, why, do you, why did you think that? And his answer was kind of funny to me. He said this, man, you were always challenging the professors and the teachers and the leaders. You were always asking questions to poke holes in what they were teaching. Every time we had a class, you were asking questions. It seemed like you just didn't believe what was being taught. Now, the truth is that he was absolutely right. I was always asking questions. Always asking questions. I, listen, I always had my hand up. But he was wrong in his judgment. The Bible says in John 7.24, judge not, but with righteous judgment, right? Another translation puts it this way. I like this. New Living Translation says, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. The truth is that in college, I always had my hand up. In fact, I probably, I got tired every once in a while and kind of went down like this, but I always had my hand up. One professor got to calling me the question man because most days I would ask questions in class then meet him in a, at his office for more questions. I suppose in doing that, many of the teachers became annoyed and some of the students questioned whether or not I was really on their team. What I told them about my life in that time really kind of took them back. It was kind of interesting. We were talking. I said, well, you understand what I, what I was going through at that time. You see, I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church. It was pretty nuts. I grew up in the, in the Pentecostal charismatic church in the 80s and 90s. Uh, so, I mean, that rolling around on the floor. We didn't have chandeliers, but we would have swung from them if we had them. Uh, a lot of different types of revivals that were happening around the nation that were kind of way out there. And, and I saw some, the truth is this, I saw some awesome moves of God, but I also saw a lot of manipulation and fakery. And much of what I saw growing up is what I would call on-the-surface type Christianity. I encountered those that claimed to love the Lord, but clearly didn't love people. Claimed to love the Lord and love Jesus, but couldn't stand people. And so when I went to college, I wasn't just going along for the ride. I wasn't just going along to get along. I wanted something deeper. I wanted something real and genuine. I wanted the truth of Christ and Christianity to be real and grounded and balanced and genuine in my life. So when I was asking questions, I was searching for something beyond the surface teaching. I really was searching for that which would sustain me. I told him that the majority of my time outside the dorms was spent on the baseball field. 
That might surprise some of you. I was not a baseball player. But at night, I would go out on the field. I would look at the stars. And I would pray. And I would have just honest conversations with God. About everything. But about the deep things. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't advertise it. I didn't go back in the door and be like, well, I was out in the baseball field praying, you know. There were some people that did that. Don't get me wrong. We had a guy in the dorms who literally, he would roll around in the cornfields. Just, well, you know, rolling. I mean, literally rolling around in the cornfields. Come back, dirt all over him. Say, what were you doing? Just praying, man. Oh, praise the Lord. I can do that and stay clean, but okay. Do what you got to do. We had another guy in the dorms that he walked around all the time speaking in tongues. All the time. He never shut up. Everywhere he went, he was speaking in tongues. We sat there one day. We're playing chess. He starts speaking in tongues. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just praying. I said, unless the Holy Spirit's giving you moves, you need to stop it. Two in the morning, yelling. How many know there's spectators and there's participators? There's those who are on the surface and those who are deep. Hey, you live on your own. You want to speak in tongues all day? God bless you, man. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But sometimes it seemed that people were just doing things to be seen doing things. You know what I mean? I know sometimes people just do things to be seen doing things. Oh, oh, this is probably the best time to raise my hands because there's people watching. Hallelujah. Right, Carol? (laughs) I was searching for the deepness of God. Why? Because I knew that for what God has called me to, I can't just be a spectator. And I would say, for what God has called you to, you cannot afford to just be a spectator. We are called to be participators. I couldn't just sit on the sidelines, right? Listen, Christ is our example, amen? And so he is who we follow. This morning, I don't have a long message, but I do pray that it's one with impact. In other words, what is your faith leading you to? Is it leading you towards spectating? Or is it leading you towards participating? Does your faith lead you to the cross? Not just the cross of Christ, but towards your own cross. The Bible says, in this world you will have troubles. In this world you will have suffering. But fear not. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning.